Hello, and welcome to the Hardcore Zen Podcast. I'm Brad Warner. I am the author of Hardcore Zen, Letters to a Dead Friend About Zen, It Came From Beyond Zen, Don't Be a Jerk, uh, Sit Down and Shut Up, and many other fine books about Zen Buddhism and other stuff. This podcast is supported solely by your donations, and if you'd like to donate, go to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is my main source of income, your donations, so I really appreciate your support. But as always, this is offered for free, so you don't got to donate if you don't want to donate. All right, this is what is it, the third part of my commentary on Yuibutsu Yobutsu, Buddhas Alone Together with Buddhas, which is an essay by Dogen that appears in the fourth volume of the Shobogenzo translation by my teacher, Gudo Wafu Nishijima, and his student, Mike Cross. It appears in the Tanahashi uh, translation by Kazuaki Tanahashi, uh, the second volume of that, and it probably appears a few other places. The Hubert Nierman version uh, has, has one uh, translation of this as well. So that's what we're going to be talking about. And before I go any further, I just want to say, is anyone listening to these podcasts? Because I, I don't get any feedback on these at all. All I see is a, a kind of a, a count for how many people access the podcast each, each week or each time I put it up. But I, I don't hear from anybody or anything else. People had asked me, for years to do something kind of longer and more in-depth than the videos or even the blogs, and that's what this podcast is supposed to be. But I don't know if you're listening. So if you are listening, you can send me an email at bw at hardcorezen.info. That is bw, that's Brad Warner, at hardcorezen.info, just my initials bw, if you want to tell me what you think of this thing. So... Let's talk about it. Uh, we are down into, I don't know, a few paragraphs into the piece, so if you want to go back and the first episode of this series has the entire paraphrase that I wrote, uh, read, I just read it and read it out, and the second one has my commentary on the first oh, few paragraphs of it, and now I'm going on to my second part, so if you want to catch up, you'll have to go back to those other episodes, but I think you know, you'll be fine if you're just jumping in here too. All right, here is the next section. He says, this is Dogen, or this is my paraphrase of Dogen. He says, there is a specific quality of the moment of the supreme state of Bodhi. And the word that he uses that I've translated or paraphrased as quality is memboku, which is appearance or look. So let's just keep going and then we'll talk about it. Failing to recognize that quality is foolish. That quality is that it is a moment without anything extra. Now, that's uh, me taking a little bit of liberty with the original, when I said a moment without anything extra. The word he uses is a word that uh, the Japanese English dictionary I use didn't have it. So it's probably an older word that's no longer in use, but I can take the, the Chinese characters apart and tell you what it means. Uh, I think maybe it's pronounced fuseno, but I'm not sure. But it means without dye or filth, uh, and it's often translated as impurity. So he's talking about a moment that is exactly what it is. This is always what Zen points to. They're talking about moments that are exactly what they are without adding anything to them that 
makes it dirty or dyed or impure in, in metaphorical sense. And that's what he's going to be talking about for the next couple of paragraphs. So let's just keep going and see what he has to say about it. So he says, or at least he says it in my paraphrase, he says, When I say it is without anything extra, I don't mean that it's like trying to force yourself to be without an aim and free of attachments. Now, let's talk about that, uh, those two words, aim and attachments. The word he uses that I'm translating as aim is shuko, which if you look it up in a contemporary Japanese English dictionary means plan, idea, or plot. So aim, I thought, was a, a good word, and it's kind of a common word that's used in, in Buddhism. Uh, my teacher, Guru Nishiji Maroshi, used to make a big distinction between intention and aim. Uh, they're very similar concepts, so you can't really uh, parse them. You can't really make them completely distinct from each other, because there's always going to be an overlap between, between the words. But... Um, Without everything you do has an aim, you know, you're not going to sit zazen at all without some sort of idea of what's going to happen because of doing zazen, and nobody does that. So you can't you can't force yourself to be rid of it, which is what Dogen's going to say next. Uh, but you just accept that it's there. And let's go on and tell you about the word for attachment. The word for attachment is uh, a word that also doesn't appear in a modern uh, dictionary. Well, shuko does, the, for, the word I told you about aim, but this word, uh, probably shusha, uh, literally means to hold a hut, to hold on to something. And Kazuaki Tanahashi translates this as discrimination, but I'm not really sure why, because it seems more like attachments, because the first Chinese character in the compound is to hold, to, to hold on to something. So it says, uh, let's say, let's get back because you may have forgotten what I just said because I kind of forgot. When I say it is without anything extra, I don't mean that it is like trying to force yourself to be without an aim and free of attachments. Then he says, nor does it mean having no aim at all. Actually, without aiming for it, and whether you have attachments or not, this purity of having nothing extra still exists. And I'm going to stand by my, my paraphrasing of this, because I, I think it's all right, but I just want to tell you what it says in other versions. Nishijima Cross has, where I have, nor does it mean having no aim at all, they have, nor does it mean maintaining something other than one's aim. Which, you know, I guess is okay, but I, I found that a little blurry, that, that phrase. So that's why I said, nor does it mean having no aim at all. Now, I'm going to give you the entire version or the entire translation by Kazuaki Tanahashi of that uh, paragraph. Although, as I said before in the last episode, the paragraphing in Dogen's version and the paragraphing in the translations are always different. But anyway, for what it's worth, from that section... Uh, he goes, this is Tanahashi's. Not to know what it is like on this path is foolish. What is it like being undivided? To be undivided does not mean that you try forcefully to exclude intention or discrimination. So that aim he makes into intention, and what I translate as attachments, he does as discrimination. Or that you establish a state beyond intention. Being undivided cannot be intended or discriminated at all. Which, you know, that's a that's a decent enough translation. I think that's fine. Uh, it reminds me of something that 
I said when I was giving a talk in Prague in 2019 in, in the Czech Republic. And the place they'd chosen was right in the center of the city. I think it was technically the center of the city, if I'm not mistaken, but it was a a very popular area, and it was summertime, so they were having this this festival of some sort with lots of drinking and lots of music and people in those like carts where where they put like ten people on a a cart and everybody has to pedal and they're all drinking. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those, but they have them in touristy areas in in Los Angeles too. Well, they had those going around all the time, and people were like yelling and screaming. So we were trying to do a two-day Zazen event where people sat Zazen for, for two days straight, and I was giving lectures in the middle of each day. And it was kind of difficult with all that noise and distraction going on. So one of the things I said is what I use, my strategy that I use at times like this, is to remember that silence is always there. Silence is always underpinning everything, even when there's a lot of noise. The way I try to uh, think of it in my mind is, is, and this is just a metaphor, but silence is like the floor or the bedrock, the solid bottom. And it, you can pile stuff up on top of silence. You can pile all sorts of noise on top of silence, but the silence remains underneath it all. And I think this is something like what Dogen is trying to say here when he says, uh, whether you have attachments or not, or whether you have aims or not, this purity of having nothing extra still exists. So the purity that he's indicating isn't something that you're trying to establish by getting rid of all the noise. If you do manage to get rid of all the noise, it would be like sweeping the floor or keeping, you know, clearing it out so you can actually see the floor. And that's helpful. But it doesn't mean the floor isn't there when it's when stuff is piled up on top of it. I hope that meaning makes sense. And I think that's what Dogen is saying. So the purity that he's talking about isn't something that goes away just because it's covered up. It's still there, whether it's covered up or not. So purity might not be the greatest metaphor because purity sort of uh, gives you an idea of, of things that are mixed together. And, and uh, well, maybe it's, a, maybe it's an okay metaphor because if you mixed um, like that chocolate quick powder in your, in your uh, milk when you were a kid, we used to have that sometimes. I always like the strawberry flavor better than the chocolate. But anyway, if you leave it sit out for a long time, eventually all the strawberry stuff settles to the bottom and it's just milk on top and strawberry stuff on the bottom. And so that's another way to think of what we do in Zazen is letting everything settle out so that the, the purity kind of becomes more available to us. So let's just keep going. Next paragraph, it says, It's like when you meet a person, you create an image of her or him. Or when you see a flower or the moon, you add a little extra something to them in your mind. Even when we try to be something other than what we are, we can't do it. It's just like the way that springtime is only springtime, and autumn is just the beauty and ugliness that is autumn. Even if we wanted to take springtime or autumn into ourselves, we couldn't do it. They are beyond us. They are not piled up upon us, nor are they the thoughts we have right now. And 
Tanahashi has something quite different. The, the version that I just read you is following mainly the Nishijima Cross version. And if you want to go look that up, that's fine. Uh, but uh, it's pretty close. But Tanahashi has something quite different at the last line. He has, or when you want to keep spring and autumn as it is, reflect that it has no unchanging nature. Which is a nice sentiment, but I don't think that's quite what Dogen says. It's not a good direct translation, even though I would have to wholeheartedly agree with what it says. Uh, some things I pointed out, if you happen to be looking at this on my Patreon page, you'll see my little notes in there, and you might see the word ware. You might think it's the word where in English, but it's actually the Japanese word ware. And Dogen uses two, well, he uses actually in this essay, I think four different words that would all be translated as self, and I'll get to the others when we when we come across them. But in this case, he's using ware uh, in the words that I translated as we, um, or us, or ourselves uh, in, in that last bit. And when he says ware, he usually means the individual ego-centered sense of being an individual self. And when he uses the word jiko, which also is translated as self, he's usually referring to a more transcendent sense of self as like the big self. So in this case, he's always referring to ware. And that idea of when you see the flower or see a flower or the moon, you add a little something extra to them, to them in your mind, is just how we, we do. Uh, it's, it's how we perceive things. So we don't perceive things in a, in a pure way. We tend to assume that we're seeing things just exactly as they are. But even contemporary uh, studies in neuroscience and, and anatomy and stuff like that have shown that we don't. We make up a lot of, of things. I just read uh, somewhere where the rods and cones in your eyes, you, you think they're picking up the light signals and transferring them directly to your brain, but apparently that's not the case. More of the signals are going from the brain to the eyes, so, so you're more relying on the memory of things that you've encountered before and then just seeing the, the little variations uh, in them. So I'm looking around my room right now as I talk about this and going, wow, that's a mind-blowing concept that, that uh, this uh, TV that I'm looking at is actually mostly the memory of, of seeing this TV and maybe other TVs, but uh, I, I imagine that I'm perceiving the TV exactly as it is because all I'm getting from my senses is what I need to get. I'm not getting the whole picture. So I think this is what Dogen is referring to. I think that long before neuroscience and you know other advanced studies that we have in the West studied this stuff, they had Dogen and people like him had studied this stuff internally and come to understand it probably better than we can understand with our various machines and so forth. So let's keep going. This means that neither the physical elements nor the five skandhas, and if you know Buddhism, the five skandhas are the elements of which the universe and people in it and animals like my dog Ziggy, who's uh, sitting here on the couch right now, right next to me, 
uh, are made of form feeling perceptions impulses consciousness probably i could do a whole podcast on that but just uh, just suffice it to say that is what buddhists say constitutes the individual self it's not uh, an immutable thing and this replaces the idea of atman that uh, existed in in hinduism and still exists in in brahman with uh, brahmanism but this uh, this gets very complicated and i don't want to quite go down that rabbit hole so let's just uh, continue and so the five elements this means that neither the physical elements nor the five skandhas are ourselves nor are they anyone else so uh, I just told you that the five skandhas are ourself and everyone else. Well, Dogen is denying that. So that's Dogen being contradictory. Thus, when the colors of the mind are excited by the sight of the moon or a flower, we should not think of these colors as ourself, and yet we think of them as ourself. And I did a whole chapter on just this line, or, God, it's been so long since I read it, I don't remember if it was just on this line, but inspired by this line, I think it's called The Colors of the Mind. It's in my book, uh, Sit Down and Shut Up, from uh, 2007. I did a whole thing about this, because it was a fascinating idea. The colors of the mind are excited by the sight of a moon or flower. We should not think of these colors as ourself, and yet we think of them as ourself. So it's interesting that our perceptions are something that we take into ourself and think of as ourself. So what we perceive, we tend to think we own. You know, I own my perceptions. I'm looking around this room and at Ziggy the dog and everything else around here. And, uh, well, a lot of it's stuff that I own, a lot of it's stuff that my wife owns, and a lot of it's stuff that we own in common. But I, I'm talking about ownership in another sense, that it is my sight that it is me seeing those things. Well, Dogen is calling that idea into question. Maybe it's not me seeing things at all. Maybe the me is just sort of a, a channel through which seeing happens, but it's not me seeing it. And Dogen goes on to say, when we think of that which is not ourself as ourself, it's not a big problem. And by the way, self, uh, the word I'm translating as self here and in the rest of this uh, chapter is ware, that individual self. It's not a big problem when we think of that which is not ourself as ourself. But when we see that there's nothing to want and nothing to reject, then we are able to act naturally in accordance with our original face. So this is reminiscent of the Shinjin Mei, which says at the very beginning, it's a faith mind inscription is how it's often translated. It's an old Chinese Buddhist poem. And the first line is, the great way is not difficult. Just avoid picking and choosing or just avoid love and hate. So Dogen puts this as when there's nothing to want and nothing to reject. So in that state, we are naturally able to be in accordance with our original face. Original face is a kind of a way of saying our bigger self, the self that is the universe that we get in touch with when we don't have anything to want or anything to reject or love or hate. And now he goes on. An ancient Buddhist master said, The entire earth is the Dharma body of the true self, but don't let your ideas about the Dharma body get in your way. If the Dharma body gets in your way, you won't be able to move freely. There should be a way to free the body. How can people free the body? If you fail to free the body, you will lose the life of the Dharma body and sink into the sea of suffering for a long time. 
So when I said true self, now we're talking about jiko, the big self. Uh, jiko no hoshin, that's a dharma body of the true self. And there's another bit that uh, gets tricky and is hard to translate. He uses the word or yeah, word shushin. And shushin is composed of two Chinese characters. One is uh, shutsu, which is... Well, the most common place you'll see the word shutsu is in exit signs in Japan. Uh, so to get out, so it's uh, deguchi because it's pronounced uh, deru sometimes. Don't don't worry about the Japanese anyway. Uh, deguchi is like uh, guchi is is uh, door and de is uh, to go away. So these this uh, uses that uh, deru kanji shutsu kanji and shin so uh, get out the body literally and nishijima and cross consistently translate that that line or that word which comes up a lot in Dogen as get the body out and and it gets confusing because they use that phrase all the time the word shushin in contemporary Japanese just means where you come from like I, I was born in Ohio so that's my shushin Ohio uh, Hamilton Ohio uh, technically because uh, I was born in Hamilton and then moved to Wadsworth it doesn't matter anyway uh, so that's my shushin but this is a different thing that he's talking about. And Tanahashi just translates that as, uh, what does he translate as? Uh, to be free from hindrance. So I, I think that's a decent way to, to translate it. But when Nishima and Cross do get the body free or free the body or get the body out, they're usually referring to Zazen because Zazen is a physical practice that you do with your body. So uh, get the body out in their way of thinking is a, a reference to Zazen. So we can argue about that, but I'm not going to argue about it. So let's keep going. Someone might ask you, what should we do if we want to let the Dharma body live and not sink into the sea of suffering? The best answer is, the whole earth is the Dharma body of the true self. So the true self, again, is that Jiko, the big self. But even if you can say the whole earth is the Dharma body of the true self, the reality of this moment cannot be expressed. Furthermore, when something cannot be said, it may be best not to say it. Good words from Dogen. Let's just keep going. An ancient master once expressed this truth without using any words. Wordlessly, he said, In death there is living, in living there is death. Death is always death, living is always living. No one can make this so. The Dharma is this way, no matter what we might desire. So this is a nice phrase. Now that Dharma body is a concept in Buddhism where the whole self is the Dharma body, the true self is the Dharma body, and the Dharma body usually refers to the entire universe. So your true body is the entire universe, and that's that concept of Dharma body. So that's the body of the true self, the Jiko self. That line, death is always, sorry, in living there is death, etc., etc. Et Let me read you the Tanahashi translation. He has, there is birth in death and there is death in birth. Death is entirely death and birth is entirely birth. So that is a real nice thing. And the version I, I used was uh, based on the Nishijima Cross version. There's a bit of confusion because the word for birth is also the same word for life. And he actually, Dogen, 
instead of using the Chinese characters, spells it out Ikeru in Japanese. So I think he's doing that because if you pronounce the the word Ikeru, then you're definitely talking about living rather than just birth. So I'm not sure why the Tanahashi translation translated it as birth, but there you go. Now, funnily enough, as I was first doing this paraphrase, I was also concurrently reading a book about Jiddu Krishnamurti uh, called Krishnamurti, The Open Door, and it's by Mary Lutyens. It's kind of a, a part three of her biography of Krishnamurti. And Krishnamurti is quoted there, and the quote, I think, is something like what Dogen, I think, is trying to say here. So let me give you the whole Krishnamurti quote. Here it goes. Death means the ending of the known. It means the ending of the physical organism, the ending of all memory which I am, for I am nothing but memory. I am frightened to let all that go, which means death. Death means the ending of attachments, that is, dying with living, not separated by fifty years or so, waiting for some disease to finish you off. It is living with all your vitality, energy, intellectual capacity, and with great feeling. And at the same time, for certain conclusions, certain idiosyncrasies, experiences, attachments, hurts, to end, to die. That is, while living, also live with death. Then death is not something far away. Death is not something that is the end of one's life, brought about by some accident, disease, or old age, but rather an ending to all things of memory. That is death, a death not separate from living. So I think that's kind of what uh, Dogen is trying to say when he says in living there is death, in in, uh, death there is living. Uh, Nishima and Cross give examples of people who dedicate themselves too much to life and people who dedicate themselves too much to death. They do this a couple of times in Shobogenzo where they talk about, um, for example, somebody who's uh, like a health food fanatic would be somebody who's too, too attached to life and somebody who's just kind of morose and always thinking about death is too attached to death. And Dogen is saying, don't be either of those things. So let's continue. Therefore, when Buddha turns the wheel of Dharma, this is how it is expressed. In the Lotus Sutra, it says that a Buddha appears in whatever form is needed in order to save living beings. And I kind of truncated that section. I think that was giving actual examples from the Lotus Sutra of different ways the Buddha appears. It's an old formula that's uh, common to a lot of forms of Buddhism that the Bodhisattva of compassion or the Buddha himself will appear to a person in exactly the form that that person needs. So uh, usually the example is like if the person uh, needs the Buddha in the form of a plumber, he appears in the form of a plumber. And if the Buddha needs uh, the, if a person needs the Buddha in the form of a television repairman, he too appears in his, I don't know why I'm thinking for repair people, but you know, the Buddha appears in whatever form you need the Buddha to appear. That's what that is referring to. And this is called the wisdom of the instantaneous and eternal. And what I've translated as instantaneous and eternal is musho no chiken. And that's not chicken, that's chiken, a Japanese word. Musho literally means non-birth, it could also mean nirvana, and chiken uh, means wisdom or prajna, intuitive wisdom. And here we'll go back to Dogen. When we say that Buddha appears in the world to save living beings, that doesn't mean that Buddha appeared in the world and then started saving living beings. 
there is no difference between what Buddha does, which is saving living beings, and what a Buddha is. It's because of the action of saving living beings that the infinite Dharma body takes on the appearance of a Buddha who saves living beings. The action of saving living beings is more fundamental than the physical appearance of a Buddha. From the time of their awakening until the time they attain nirvana, Buddhas are the living manifestation of this principle. Even if they never say a word about the Dharma, the teachings are shared freely with all. So that's a an important idea that the Buddha isn't a, 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 a person. Uh, the whole concept of personhood in Buddhism gets very strange, and it's not at all what you normally think of as personhood. So the person Buddha appears in order to do what the Buddha does. So the need and the doing is considered by Buddhists much more fundamental than the person. So this is why, uh, for example, you know, a lot of these scandals and things have happened in Buddhism and people go, how can that guy who knew eternal cosmic truths and who could say great things uh, also do some crummy things that caused a big scandal? This, this has happened a lot. And I don't want to excuse that kind of behavior because you, you shouldn't do those crummy things to people and, you know, that, that's... That's enough about that. But the point I'm trying to make is that the person is a Buddha when they're being Buddha. And when they're not being Buddha, they're not Buddha anymore. So it's not that they become Buddha and then stay Buddha forever. Even Gotama Buddha, the very first Buddha, never claimed to do that. Uh, he said he had problems and temptations and so forth all the way through his life up until he was very old and finally died. But when he was acting as Buddha, then he was Buddha at that moment. So anybody can be Buddha in that sense. All right, so I'm going to stop there with uh, this episode of the podcast, and we'll pick up uh, from there in the next episode. So thank you for listening. And as I said, drop me a line at bw at hardcorezen.info if you're actually hearing this thing, because I don't know if anybody's even hearing this thing. I might just be recording these for my own uh, self. Anyway, if you want to donate, you can also do that, and you can go to hardcorezen.info slash donate. That is hardcorezen.info slash donate. There, there you will find my PayPal and Patreon account links, and that is my main way of making a living. But as I said at the beginning of the podcast, this is offered for free, so you don't got to pay if you don't want to pay. So I do thank you, though, for your support, and we will see you next time. Have a good time all the time. Bye.